services at your service to the podcast. The podcast where pelvic health physiotherapists Emma Brockwell and Gwanya Donnelly talk to incredible guests who help lift the lid and bust the myth on all things pelvic health. And welcome back to series one of At Your Cervix podcast. I'm Emma Brockwell, pelvic health physiotherapist, and alongside my co-host, Bonya Donnelly, we bring you episode nine. Today's guest is Illy Morrison. Illy is a rather impressive woman. She's a mother, a midwife, and a mentor. She also has a very successful Instagram account called Mixing Up Motherhood, and she is an incredible speaker. In this episode, she talks to us about what is a good birth education, how to have a positive birth experience, birth trauma and birth debrief. We also discuss racial inequalities within the maternal healthcare system. This really is an episode not to miss. Welcome back to At Your Cervix, the podcast. Today, Gronya and I are really excited to be joined with Illy Morrison, who you might have heard speaking at Pelvic Live back in March. Illy Morrison is a midwife, hypnobirthing teacher, positive birth activist, birth trauma debrief facilitator and mother. Illy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you. And that is the most succinct bio we have ever been given, which is just beautiful. But I want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about you, your passions, your interests, and, you know, what drives you. So tell us all. Um, so basically, if I have to write about myself, I just I just can't. I find it really difficult to do. Um, and so I don't. When people say write me a bio, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're lucky you even got that many words, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but if you then tell me to tell you who I am, we'll be, we'll be here a long time. Um, so, yes, I am Illy. I am a uh, midwife, a mother. Um, I teach hypnobirthing. Um, I don't actually do that much hypnobirthing teaching at the moment, but I think that's more because I don't promote it. Um, and um, But that's not, I'm very passionate about it mm. um, and all forms of antenatal education. So um, that is part of what I do. Um, I also teach a, a masterclass. I host a masterclass, which will now be hosted three times a year. Um, and that is on um, sort of, racial uh, bias, uh, systemic racism, um, maternal mortality and advocacy. So it's all about how to provide the best care for the people um, that we are caring for. Um, yeah, so that's that's really cool. I really enjoy doing that. I mm. My initial plan was I'd do it monthly and then I thought, oh God, no. Um, and it's actually, a it's a lot, yeah. And mm. I think actually doing it three times a year kind of, gives people time to want to do it and to look forward to it as well do you know what it's so funny because when I first did it I thought oh I'll probably get like 10 bookings um and that's absolutely great and then before I knew it I had 30 bookings and that was like wild wow um and then I've put it out again and it's like tumbleweed And it's so funny. It's just it's about when you when people feel like they're in a position to do it. I think there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world. Um, People are getting their kids back to school and Mm -hmm. like priorities are slightly shifted. And it's just about like with these things, it's like whatever we wait. Um, The learning never stops and the course will be there. And for those who want to be there, they can. And, you know, if you don't have capacity um, or desire, then that's also fine. 
I do birth debriefs okay. where um, women and birthing people can come and basically unpick their birth trauma. Um, and sometimes it isn't, um, you know, they don't feel traumatized, but they have questions left over or they have some negative feelings associated with their birth that they just want to explore. Um, and so we spend some time doing that. And for others, it was a very traumatic experience and, and they want to sort of put it to bed in some ways. Um, and I always think, you know, you're not trying to forget it and you're not trying to erase it. You're mm -hmm. just trying to find ways to accept it. Yes, you need to that, reframe the process. Exactly, exactly that. So it's like, you know, we, we often think that, and I think a lot of people when they've had some type of birth trauma, they're met with, well you know you'll get over it it's fine and it's like we don't actually need to get over these things you know if something traumatic happens to us we don't need to get over it we need to deal with it and then we need to find ways in which we can move forward so you know you don't you don't get over that experience because it was a big impact played a big mm. part and it's a huge bit of part of your story really um but I do those and I I I'm there's they're fully booked up until the end of April so actually wow. <laughs> I'm quite busy with those anyway yeah. so you know um I am very happy to be fully booked but equally I'd be happier if there was no yeah. birth trauma you know it's well, kind absolutely. of one of those double-edged swords I think that the birth trauma and even the need for a debrief is something that's really expanding and funny enough in my I'm trying to think which pregnancy I think it was my second pregnancy delivery I must have had a very proactive midwife who because by default she I she actually gave me a birth debrief on the ward the next day without me realizing I was getting a birth debrief but mm -hmm. she took the notes in with her she obviously felt there was a need and to be honest when I think back I had an induction of labor and it was really short staffed and they had agency staff in and I think I was just I was kind of going through the process and I thought everything was fine but I remember all of a sudden when um the sister came in and suddenly was checking what was going on. Then suddenly things seemed to kind of snap up and they were very, getting very procedural. Maybe obs that weren't being taken, hadn't emptied my bladder in a long time. There's lots of things that hadn't been done. But I remember thinking, jeepers, like, you know, because I'm sure she came in and she wasn't happy with what was going on. Mm. Everything turned out fine. And so I was grand about it, but she came the next day with notes and went through it and went through very lodging was like, look, it, I just want to explain this that's happened, possibly because I was staff working in the hospital too. There was probably an element of, right, we want to make sure that this person isn't leaving unhappy. Not, I think everyone's due to have that, but they were very proactive. I have a really positive recollection of that, despite what, and it has totally, I think that that could have went a totally different way yeah. in terms of how I think about it. So I know how important that was and how I really appreciate her coming and explaining and just even acknowledging that maybe things weren't done or didn't go the way they should have went but that when we realize this is what's happened and I'm absolutely fine about it so I have so many women now that I encourage to get birth debriefs um, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we can talk more about it as we go but I have a lot of women with who come to me with cesarean section pain can't mm -hmm. resolve and when you get into the nitty-gritty of it it's all associated with the birth trauma maybe they didn't want a c-section mm -hmm. and it's nearly that idea that their bodies failed them and they can't nearly get past this and even the fact that someone come along to them and saying how do you deliver oh you too posh to push it's like mm -hmm. a knife going into them so it's it's something I really appreciate I'd love to hear more from you about that and why you got into that area mm. so I think what's interesting is with birth trauma, I think like with a lot of experiences we have, we, we grieve the experience that we wanted. 
And people don't associate grief with birth, um, particularly when you have a live, healthy baby. That is sort of dismissed as like, what are you grieving about? But like grief has stages and overcoming birth trauma also has stages. And many of us get sort of stuck at acceptance. You know, we feel the anger, we feel the sadness and we get stuck at acceptance because it's like, but why, but why, but why, all of that. And that's what why I think it's really necessary to kind of help people and guide them through that. Um, and I got into this kind of work because I was in that same position myself. Right. I had a terrible birth um, with my daughter and it left me feeling bereft um, and very much, I think, disillusioned with the whole system um, and the people in it. And that was difficult because I was in it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I felt that it was very much dismissed what my experience was and how I felt about it. Um, and so once I sort of gained a little bit of perspective and in time and through absolute honesty, and I think so many people were made to feel very uncomfortable by my honesty, um, mm you know oh this is crap isn't it like you know I think people people aren't used to that they're not used to uh mothers expressing negative emotions about parenting um because parenting modern day parenting is wrapped up in patriarchal norms and influences that basically state that mothers should be content to be mothers because that's what they were born to do so that leaves us with this real kind of um it can feel very conflicting when we are supposedly born to do this and do it well and yet we're not enjoying it and we feel negative things and then comes those feelings of guilt it's all influenced by the patriarchy if I'm completely honest Mm. um and so I I was sort of like very much not about that. I was, you know, like with everything that I do, I'm, I'm quite on, open and honest about it. Um, and so that, that's how I worked through my own issues um, by just accepting that they happened and working through that. So when I started mixing up motherhood, uh, ne- coming up to a year now, um, so last March, Uh, the beginning of lockdown I think it was like my first post was like the second day of lockdown and um, is that all you've been going for yeah yeah oh my goodness I thought you'd been on for (laughs) a few years wow it's it's blown up for you then really hasn't it (laughs) it's it's a bit mental um but it's great um but I, I wrote that first post and and I think a lot of people resonated with that kind of frankness um I would have people messaging me their birth stories all the time and I found that I was quite skilled at responding um and I'm not going to be humble about it I don't think that I think if we're good at things we should say we're good at them um we need to talk to you more we need we need this pep talk (laughs) so so true because I think I think all women need to hear that more actually because I don't think 
women have the confidence in what they're thinking and what they're doing everyone particularly at the moment within the pandemic Mm -hmm. everyone seems and feels very lost um I see it all the time in clinic um you know there's been this real loss of sense of community which you so desperately need when you've just had a baby as well um and there are so many women with so many questions about their birthing experience who do feel almost embarrassed to to be questioning what happened and Mm -hmm. as a healthcare professional you can absolutely um reason why that's not okay and that that person needs to talk to another healthcare professional about their experience but as a mother as a woman I can totally see where they're coming from I ended up having an emergency c-section with my first it was a horrific birth and I one of my biggest regrets is not getting a debrief because actually I felt embarrassed because I thought Oscar's really well I'm well yeah. you know I haven't you don't had a third have the or right fourth, nearly I don't have the right I haven't mm-hmm. had a third or fourth degree tear mm-hmm. which is the one thing if I'm brutally honest that I did want to avoid and I yeah. just thought Emma get on with it there's you see a lot worse in clinic so move on and you know it, it's one of those things that's happened to you but I would never think that if if a patient was to say that I think that's utterly yeah. you know ridiculous so if we flip it back to the patient, how how does a woman get a debrief? And is it someone that anyone, sorry, is it something that anyone can have? Or is it only if you've had what is classed as birth trauma? So like I was saying, if I I fell into this role, I and I just started it. I I, I said, you know, does anyone I, I just I sort of was like yeah let me just create a little poster on Canva and see if people were like interested and I got a couple of bookings and was like oh well that's cool um I love this it's so it's organic so cool. <laughs> yeah I was like yeah that's cool let's just give it a go and then gradually it's like snowballed to the point where I am booked I I, I do sessions every day bar two days a week and yeah. they're fully booked like I said two months in advance so what I don't it's a private service it's not so anyone can access it mm-hmm. um it's not expensive but it really is up to you what you decide it's not for me to say it is expensive or it's not expensive we all have different financial situations um but I think when it's about prioritizing our needs um and that's sometimes very difficult to do when you're a parent because mm-hmm. uh you become a mother and suddenly your needs go on the back burner and everyone thinks that your needs should go on the back burner but actually they shouldn't they should always be on the front burner because in order to parent we well and effectively we need to be well so i said it's not it's not expensive if you've prioritized it and if you have the financial means um, I do also have a pay it forward option um, where people pay for them for other people. So I've had, I think in total, I've had like seven or eight um, just paid nice. forward by complete strangers um, who some have just had positive experiences themselves and want other people to get that too. And others have just said you know I just like to give this to someone and I I I love it I think it's incredible um but I I give one away monthly anyway um and so it's it's a way of sort of making the service as accessible as possible because Mm -hmm. financial means aren't 
you know, they're not mutually exclusive to how much money, how much need we have. Do you know yes. what I mean? Yes. So, you know, and I know there are people, um, uh, low income families or um, families, ethnic minorities who don't, who don't have access to these mm. services, who aren't offered these things. And um, so if I can make the service as accessible as possible, then that's what I'll do. Um, so for me, it's like, you just send me a message, book on my website and that's it. And I don't ask you for anything. I don't ask you to explain yourself or to tell me why you think you deserve it or need it. That's not my business. If you've got that far to where you're wanting to book it, then that is more than enough for me. Um, and if you turns out that actually it wasn't the thing for you, that's fine as well. You know, there's no obligation. Um, what I found is that le levels of trauma vary significantly, um, but none are insignificant, you know? Um, each person feels the way they feel and that is actually what matters. And it's not for anyone to determine what that means except them. So mm -hmm. there is space for all. I like that because it's like you're nearly giving them the validity to express their feelings because their feelings are valid. It doesn't mm. matter what anyone else's opinion of that is or what they think society's expectation of them is. It's if you're feeling a certain way, those are valid feelings and that's something that needs to be worked through. So I really, really like that. I know we'll get into, because one of the things that you campaign for is racial equality, per, mm. particularly in this population. I'd be really interested in hearing more about the disparity that you see and even then how that carries over into birth trauma do you see certain do you think everybody accesses birth trauma when they should or do you see more pe people having a certain need for birth trauma debriefs mm. so tell us a little bit about that Ellie. so the disparity is that you know black women are over four times more likely to die um, in pregnancy childbirth and the postpartum period when compared to their white counterparts for Asian women, it's twice as likely, and for women of mixed heritage, it's three times as likely. So we have a, a sort of three groups um, of women and birthing people who are at a greater risk, who go into their pregnancies with this sort of dark cloud hanging over them, because why wouldn't they? And no one should actually be trying to birth in that way, with that fear. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that's the case. Um, I think there are lots of reasons why this is happening and there are lots of reasons why it, I still think is grossly underreported. Um, and, and, it, and it would take longer than we have here, um, mm. but I there's a lot to explore in terms of cultural beliefs um, around birth, um, racism, systemic racism, um, which is which is unfortunately the overriding thing, um, which which is obviously going to affect those three groups significantly, isn't it? Um, and then, in terms of accessing support, I think uh, I found it's not. I, I I predominantly see white women. Do you think that that's do you think that's the people who are aware and informed about birthday briefing, whereas others aren't? Or do you think it's cultural so, beliefs about the need for one? Or I think that I think there are several things. I think um, in terms of how do I put this? What 
is the norm around how we should feel post-birth is now being questioned a lot more um, Mm -hmm. by, particularly by white women. Mm -hmm. I'll be be completely frank with you. Nothing Mm -hmm. is a problem until white women say it's a problem. Yeah, and that that horrifies me a wee bit. Mm -hmm. Um, That actually gives me the chills when you said that because I think I'm probably, I don't know, I'm a bit naive to stuff and when I seen when a lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff started to come out in terms of like when they were highlighting I think it was a lot of American posts I was seeing first of all about women during birth and their risk factors like you've highlighted I was like what I was like how can women going into the same birthing center have different like risk factors and I was like what is the rationale behind this like and what why is it like we've talked about the systemic racism but Mm -hmm. Do you think that's racism that's nearly that people don't even realise they're being racist, if you know what I mean? Yeah, so I have a real... Okay, so unconscious bias is um, basically a bias that you're not conscious of. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, my thing with unconscious bias is... Sorry, you're going to hear her crying. You're fine. Um, you're going to hear... You're going to hear... Bias <laughs> is where... It can only be unconscious for so long. And the reason it can remain unconscious is if we don't reflect, we don't listen, we don't learn. So unconscious bias definitely has an influence. Like, for example, uh, up until quite recently, I think the latest book to report it was in 2017, where there was a medical book, a medical journal that said that black women don't feel pain in the same way that white women do. Now, this is 2017. Oh, my God. So not even four years ago. It's horrendous. Like, with all the understanding we have on pain science, like, pain science is so individual to every single mm-hmm. individual, and it's all the external factors going in. That's actually quite scary that something in the modern day and age is actually coming out with something like that. Mm-hmm. And if we understand about racism, race is a social construct with no biological bearing. Mm-hmm. So we know that actually, yes. why would a black body feel pain differently than a white body? But if this is what's going on, this is what people are learning, this is what people are hearing, unconsciously they're taking these things in and that influences when a black woman or black person presents to them with pain and they're like, yeah, but, you don't, yeah, okay, they may not say it, but that's their belief. Maybe they won't administer pain relief. Maybe they'll send them home and say it's not as bad. Maybe they'll gaslight them and tell them that it's all in their heads. And this is where we end up with this kind of snowballing problem where eventually I think what tends to happen is uh, black people don't seek care because they're like, when I go, no one listens to me. No one believes what I'm what I'm saying. You know, sorry, Emma. Go ahead. Oh no, sorry. It's only because this is just so fascinating, but also just heartbreaking. I've just after listening to your um, talk on Pelvic Live, I started listening listening to bias diagnosis on um, Amazon Audible, and wow! I mean, this is happening across the board. This isn't just in women's health. This is in the medical profession. I mean, this is everywhere, isn't it? Um, but they were discussing um, skin cancer mm-hmm. um, and just how poorly managed it is for uh, within, you know, black black people and how the often it will take a black person 10 times to go to the GP complaining of changes in their skin colour 
Um, whereas it would take a white person two visits before they started investigating um, possible melanomas. And it's almost, it almost is too much to listen to. Um, if I'm honest, it's, it's, it, it, I was, <laughs> I was running and actually did, did actually stop and have a bit of a tear because it was so heartbreaking, this story, so damning in the fact that this lady who had actually died, her husband was speaking about um, her death from melanoma and just the injustice of it and just the sheer, you know, it was just eye-opening that this is happening. And this was a few years ago that this lady went through this, this experience. And, and I'm, you know, I'm afraid to say that I just wasn't aware of these disparities really until Black Lives Matters came, you know, brought all of these things to light. Mm -hmm. And I love that Black Lives Matters has brought these disparities to light, but what are we doing about it? Like, how do we change it? Because it's it's a huge thing to change. And the big thing is we don't want to lose momentum with it, but how, how do we as a society, how do we as healthcare professionals help to change what is just inherently wrong? Yeah, I think it's it's often about like not looking at it as such a grand thing. Mm. When we look at things that are so big, they they overwhelm us and we just turn away from them. We're like, you know what? This is too big a beast. I can't. And that's what it kind of relies on. It's like, oh, well, I can't change the system. I'm just little old me. So let's just keep going, you know? Um, and it isn't up to you to change the whole system. You're a part of it. Mm -hmm. So you change yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where you start. You start with changing yourself. You start with getting really uncomfortable. And that's not nice. Mm. There's a temptation to take those headphones out, to, yeah. to turn off that screen, to block that person on Instagram who's calling you out. There's all these temptations that come and it's like, mm -mm -mm, you're going to get really uncomfortable before this starts to feel okay. Um, Can I ask though, like say with... The, if I think of the healthcare systems and I even think of when I've been in say maternity sections four times there's a very diverse workforce so mm -hmm. in my maternity care I'm meeting practitioners who come from all ethnic backgrounds how can that's what that's where I struggle to understand mm -hmm. how this problem is so systemic because surely someone in that MDT on that ward seeing someone not respond to someone looking for for pain relief or something would be like you can't say that like you you can't say that certain um ethnicities don't have our feed pain the same way and you think that that would totally throw it on its head or is this all happen real subtly underhand where it's not really seen so let's just be honest white supremacy infiltrates every system yeah right every individual we are all including black and brown people impacted and influenced by white supremacy and controlled by white supremacy. This means that even within the system, we, we as black practitioners and brown, brown practitioners can get caught up in certain behaviors and, have, and start having certain biases and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And we don't even recognize it. We don't even know where it's coming from. This is why- We've been institutionalized. We've been it. institutionalized, exactly. And immune to it. We just think this is the norm. This is why, this is just it. You know, the thing is, th this is why my courses. I'm and I and and even when I do do like I speak about racism, I don't call out white people. Oh, you white mm. people, you this, you that, you the other. 
And that's not to say that black people are the problem or brown people are the problem. That's to say that actually we are all, we all need to look at what we're doing. We can all make a change to the system. Mm. Black midwives can treat black patients better. Black physios can treat black patients better. And, and, you know, and check their own biases. Because without knowing it, they've also been caught up. You know, and, and mm. I think for a lot of us, we also had some types of awakenings last year. Where it's like, oh man, like, you know, I remember, for example, you know, I was looking after a black woman and perhaps I wasn't that nice either. Perhaps I gaslit her without even realising that that's what I'd done. So we all we all have work to do. And if everyone within the system were to do that, we would be able to make changes. We wouldn't be able to change the system, but we would make changes for the people that are entering the system. So we, we start with ourselves. Which is where your advocacy masterclass comes in beautifully for this, really, isn't it? Um, but is there anything like what you're doing? Is there anything like that being offered within the NHS, within the private hospitals? So I don't know about private hospitals. I know that some hospitals are doing like diverse, diversity workshops and mm. stuff. Problem with uh, that is that they're often that. led by white people. Um, I don't know how you could have a white person leading a, 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 a workshop on inclusion and diversity. Anyway, I think mine um, was online. It was just multiple. I think it was just an online. You know, you watch videos and you answered questions. I was welcome in the fact that they did it, but it was a t- it was a bit of a tick box. Mm. But it was better than it's not having it. Nothing. It was, yeah, it was progression. Yeah, I think, you know, some trusts are really starting to crack down on it and, and do different things. I've been asked to speak at universities and stuff like that. So I think it's it's getting there. It's getting there. Um, but the work never stops, does it? And uh, Yeah, because yeah, it has to change because the disparity is so huge. And as a, as a Black woman or Asian woman, how... If you're pregnant now, how can you help advocate for yourself? What what advice would you give to women knowing those figures, knowing those stats? It's quite scary, isn't it? Mm. Um, what what advice can you can you give women in that situation? Yeah. So the first one I always say is know your body. Okay. You need to know your body better than anyone else, and believe it. You know, really trust in your body. And what it's telling you, because this means that when someone comes to you and tries to tell you that you're wrong, you can know wholeheartedly that you're not. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be very difficult to convince you that you're wrong. And that will be that thing that makes you keep driving and keep going forward. Even when someone's telling you, no, 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 no. You're like, no, but I know that something's wrong. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is always trust your instincts. They don't let you down. If you're worried about something, if you're turning up to your appointment and, you know, you're just like, they're not, they're not listening to me trust that don't be fobbed off don't be dismissed don't leave until you feel happy with the information that you've been given or the diagnosis that you've been given and the care plan that's in place if you feel that you are being gaslit or if that you're not being treated properly escalate it after someone else and I promise this feels uncomfortable because oh no but I don't want to be an inconvenience be an inconvenience don't be scared to be an inconvenience because we as professionals see hundreds, hundreds of people a month or whatever. We forget about you. But this is your experience that is that you will carry for the rest of your life. 
this pregnancy, this baby, your own life. So don't worry about what someone's thinking about you for two minutes. It's your, it's your life. So be the inconvenience, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's amazing advice. I think that's quite hard for any woman of any colour to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I see women who desperately do not want a vaginal delivery for their own reasons, which in my opinion is perfectly fine. But when it comes to having that consultation with the the grand consultant, they suddenly feel, oh, they goodness, shrivel up, right? I, I can't <laughs> possibly, you know, say this to a consultant obstetrician. And there's that horrible hierarchy that then comes mm-hmm. into play, which belittles the, the, the patient. It doesn't support the patient. And, you know, I have uh, predominantly I treat white women. And I have a lot of them coming in saying, can you help me find words, help me express my my wants to the consultant? And of course I do. But they still come out of there often feeling very dissatisfied with the outcome and feel embarrassed that they went in there asking for something and came out with, with still probably having to have a vaginal delivery, let's say, that they didn't want. So I love I what think, you say, but it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. So it goes on to... So, the next thing I would always say is have an advocate. Mm. You are not alone and you don't need to be alone. Whoever that person is, if it's your partner, your friend, your sister, your mother, they are your person. That mean that when the going gets tough, they stay. They don't have that vulnerability of a baby and making those decisions. They are there to support you. And when you choose that person, choose them wisely. They don't need to be there because they have earned the right because they're your partner. Or, you know, they don't need to be there because it's your mum. So, of course, it would be her. They need to be there because they are going to be good at doing what they need to be doing, which is ensuring that you are heard. And if they can't do that, well, they're the wrong person to be there. Yeah. So this is when we need to really start thinking that, right, we are going up against something and we are going to get you what you need or that something that you are satisfied with. Mm-hmm. So in birth, if you find that you're paralysed and you can't speak, you know, you're scared, you're embarrassed, you're vulnerable. That person isn't there to be sleeping, isn't there to be on their phone, isn't there to be eating your snacks. They are there to ensure that you are getting what you need. Okay, so when we do this by ourselves, it can feel so daunting. And I know that with COVID, this is what's happened. So many people have had to go to appointments alone and have had to deal with things by themselves and feel that they've been coerced or pushed into corners and made to do things that they didn't want to. It scares me. Like when I think, if if I think about having to go through those alone, like, and I'm someone who's informed in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So in some ways that I'm health literate, I understand the processes. I understand a lot. I would like to think that I'm confident in things. I, that petrifies me to think, because I needed my birth partner in each of those deliveries because he knows me and he could focus me. And when I like got to a point where I thought I couldn't do it. He's the person who could talk me on, you know what I mean? Nobody, I didn't want to hear from anyone else. I wanted to hear from him. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, unfortunately something that so many have been through and I can empathize with that greatly. Obviously I can't change it. Um, I would if I could, I promise. Um, So, you know, there's that. And also I think we need to really get into the habit of saying, can you document that? Can you document Mm -hmm. that? Can you document that? You know, like, as a midwife, I remember documenting everything because I knew that if I was ever taken to court, 
this would be like my bible so as a patient why am I not doing the same thing so true because the amount of ladies that I was I see and they'll say oh, I've had a third degree tear they don't know they've had a 3a bc mm-hmm. they don't always know if they've had a third degree tear or a second degree tear and as a as a healthcare professional I, I see the huge importance of knowing exactly what you've just experienced but you don't you don't hear that as a patient you don't realize the importance of that mm. and I guess that must be where your positive birth uh, influences come from in the sense of is that something that you educate women about because I know you're really, um, you know, uh, passionate about antenatal birth education. Mm. Is that something that you would obviously advocate for women? So that not advocate, sorry, it's some, something that you would educate women around what questions to ask, what to suggest that mm. is documented. Yeah, always. So mm. if you do antenatal education with me, it's not your standard antenatal education course. I, I won't talk about, I won't spend a whole lesson talking about what you should put in your bag I won't talk about you know slings and cops I don't care honestly don't care like I think you can find out all that information in your own time I'm here to really help you to be centered in your experience and to have one that you come away from feeling like whatever happened you were part of that Mm. you it was these these choices were made with you not for you and not around you and so if I'm talking to you about your birth and how to prepare for your birth I'm saying to you don't stop asking never take your foot off the gas don't sleep on it these are you know we don't you don't ever have to hand everything over to any professional or any person you know know your right, know what to ask, know when to insist, know when things don't feel right, know when to escalate, you know, and know when to not, know when to trust, know when to be okay. It's not all about a negative thing. Because when, like, from the perspective of a health professional, I think there's an education, a whole revamp of education that needs to be done in that element of things, because I'm pretty sure that some women who come in are like, could you play? Oh, okay. Well, will you make sure to document that? You know, that health profession is probably going to go out and go troublemaker in room six. You know what I mean? Like a <laughs> warning, just so you know, like she's, there's going to be a complaint in, or there'll be some degree of presumption and preempt mm. and labeling of that patient. And I think that's a scary place. Cause I know that I would have always been afraid of kind of that element of, you don't want to be, you don't want people to think you're a troublemaker nearly. Hmm. Okay, yeah, we're we're often scared of pissing people off, aren't we? And them taking some type of revenge. Um, (laughs) At the same time, if you think that I'm going to cause you trouble, then you better be on your best (laughs) behaviour. You know, flip it on its head. Okay, she might think that I'm bloody annoying, but she'll make sure, won't she? If she thinks that a straight might come through, she'll make sure. But it's funny how we believe the the like that element, the questioning part of us. That's the default. I know that not everyone, and I, I, something I certainly need to get better at. But my default would be, oh, I don't want them going out there and thinking I'm a troublemaker and mm-hmm. saying, you know. So I'm Mine like, I'll just do oh whatever God, they're doing, yeah. and I would default to that. Definitely. Oh, I, I can't imagine. All, I think you would. would be all over. Oh it. my God! No, I now would. No, I tell you. But like then, I when I had my daughter, I definitely wasn't the same. Um, but I think. I've seen, I've been on both sides of this 
So I'm not coming at it from a um, midwife bashing, or I'm not coming at it from a sore patient. I'm, I'm. Good night, I, good night darling. Oh, um, good night. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can see it from both angles. I can see how, as a midwife, I might get my back up and be like, "What do you mean you're asking me all these questions?" Mm. But I can also see, as a patient, the benefit of doing that. And we can approach these conversations in in any way. You know, it doesn't have to be antagonistic. It's not, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Da, 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 at all. It's saying, these are my fears. Mm. You know, you 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 say to them, I'm, I'm, I know that you're here to look after me. I have these very valid fears and I want to know that I'm in good hands. I'm not questioning how good you are. I'm not questioning how efficient you are. I'm just asking that you look after me. That's what we want. Yeah. And so oh. we've got to look at it like that instead of being like, I'm a troublemaker or I'm a shit stirrer. It's like, actually, I'm just a person that wants to have a good experience and I want you to help me to facilitate that. So do you think, therefore, that every woman with those tools can then have a positive birth experience? Do you think that exists? Yes. Yes, and I think that we need to move away from the idea that a positive birth experience is the experience, the the the, the expectation that was on our birth plan, that yeah. it was a vaginal delivery, that it didn't involve perineal trauma, that it didn't involve blood loss, that it didn't involve cesarean sections. We need to move away mm-hmm. from this view of positive birth being vaginal birth, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, yeah, so I positive agree. Birth, when we look at it, is about how you feel about your birth, how you feel about your birth, not about what anyone else says it should be, not about what anyone else deems positive or negative. For many people, they may have wanted a home birth in the pool and they ended up with a forceps in theatre. But throughout this experience, there was open communication, there was advocacy, there was consent, Mm -hmm. there was encouragement, there was support, and there was care. They came out of that and they said, I'm all right. It didn't go the way that I wanted it to, but I couldn't possibly say that it was a negative experience, and that's what we want. We want people to come out and say, I had a positive experience that wasn't necessarily what I wanted, but I was centred in that experience, and I can't see anything wrong with it you know except for the fact that it wasn't necessarily what I initially wanted but I've accepted that this is how it happened you know yeah positive birth isn't isn't all it's not all roses and vaginas you know like Mm. it's it's we we it's really important that we move away from that because that will help women to 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 feel positive about their birth experiences as well do you think then we should be coming away from these constructed birth plans or do you think there's still value in, in, in creating those? So I think there's real value in a birth preference, okay. real value, because when you write your birth preferences, you are acknowledging the fact that you know, you're informing yourself and there can be nothing wrong with being informed. Yeah. When you have to say, well, i I'd like this pain relief, or I wouldn't like that pain relief, or I'd like to mobilize. You're knowing the benefit of mobilization. You're knowing the risk associated with an epidural. You're knowing what matters to you. 
And so there's something really powerful in that. However, what we should be moving away from is this idea that they are set in stone. Nothing about pregnancy, birth, parenting (laughs) is solid in that way it's fluid it's all continuously fluid we change our minds we flip we flop we do we change direction at all times and so to to think that you can jot down I want this 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 and this and that's it is where we set ourselves up for failure so it's that fluidity we hold on to that fluidity we can we can have good birth experiences Oh, how I wish you'd existed when I had my children. <laughs> well, you did exist. I hope so. You just... <laughs> I'm not that old. But... <laughs> but I wish I'd had that outlook because it would have, it would have, it would have changed my experience just so very dramatically. And I really hope more and more people get to hear about your, your incredible thoughts your wise words because you have a very wise head on your really rather young shoulders I must say someone said this to me the other day they're like you're how old um you're only 32 I'm 28 Emma oh well I'm only <laughs> going to say so that's rude. not because that is not because you look it that's because I misread it are you only 28 I'm 28 <gasps> years young oh my god! you have so much life experience oh I don't know you're 28 I don't know. and you are so wise. I think, you know, <laughs> I I basically am, um, I just think a lot. I think a lot. But yeah. this is why I can't write anything. I'm just thinking. Things come out of my head and I'm like, oh, there we go. Like this. Sometimes I get it really wrong, though. Um, <laughs> like, well, you're I, human. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, it's fine. We, we, we make mistakes. Um, I think <clears throat> as sort of like my sort of, I just check the time, but like parting, I guess. Um, know that everything that I've said on this is is possible. You might listen to it and be like, "Oh yeah, right. oh whatever, it's never going to happen. I can't possibly." You can, you can, and this takes so much work, and we sometimes are scared to put in the work. It feels too big, but everything that actually matters takes work. Mm-hmm. And so you practice. If you're even if you're not pregnant, you practice. You practice asserting your wishes. You practice prioritizing your needs. And as you do that, it will become second nature to you. Shut down all the shitty noise that is telling you that you aren't worthy of a good experience, that is telling you that you need to be grateful for what you have and that the benchmark is coming out of birth alive. That is absolute bollocks. And you know, if you if you recognize all of that. Your expectation when you go into your own pregnancy and birth is that actually I am worthy of having the experience that I want. Mm -hmm. What is it I need to do to get this? And that's how you need to approach professionals. This is what I want. How do I get it? (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And if they tell you you need to go somewhere else, well, I'll go somewhere else. Tell me where, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. but always your needs matter. Your wishes matter and you can have what the bloody hell you want. I love that were you can I just double check when you had your first baby were you a mid practicing midwife at that stage mm, yeah yeah yes oh, okay practicing. so you were on the other end of the yes I've been practicing I think for a year I'd, I'd only qualified a year um so I've been qualified I think about four years now and 
I'd been qualified a year and I was just like, what the F-bomb that I'm not going to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, it was it was interesting being on the receiving end, yeah. um, definitely. And I, if I ever have another baby, I'm sure I'll be that troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you have to come on to the podcast again if you go again. Definitely. How take two went. <laughs> what a shit I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, That's I just want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just want to wrap up really by asking you that your thoughts. We have all of us here, daughters. Mm-hmm. What are your hopes surrounding change in women's health for the future? I I aim and I try to always teach my daughter about her worth, about the worth of her body and the worth of her mind and the worth of her mere presence here. And I hope that if she's ever faced with challenges when it comes to herself, that she always remembers that and that collectively we start to remember the worth that we have as women and the power that we have as women and what we can do to be treated according to how much we're worth. What a way to finish. Ian Morrison, yes. thank you so much for joining Gronya You're and so myself. Welcome. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for listening. What did you think about our conversation? Do let us know. You can contact us via Twitter, Instagram, or of course, email us on at your cervix, the podcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and review. To find out more about Illy, you can find her at www.mixingupmotherhood.com, where you can, of course, access all of her courses that we talked about too. We look forward to catching up with you next week for more chats around pelvic health. This was Emma and Gronya, and we are, of course, at your cervix.